Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and I can't thank you guys enough for making us a part of your golfing life again this week. Tonight, I'm looking forward to sharing some really great guests with you. My first one is going to be PGA Tours rules official Stephen Cox, and I'm excited to have Stephen as part of the show again tonight. And as a rules official, no one knows more about what goes on inside the ropes and the setup of each event than Stephen and his peers do. I'm going to get his thoughts this week on some of the rules changes that we're looking forward to that will come into effect in January. Plus, with the PGA Tour National Headquarters being at Ponte Vedra Beach in Florida, Stephen has been heavily involved with the setup of the Players' Championship and what they've done to the course as a result of the hurricane that went through there last year. So we're going to talk about that and the end the event moving Back from May to March. So what impact could that have on the tournament and the course you know, itself? So looking forward to having Stephen as part of the show. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from eight-time women's Canadian long drive champion, Lisa Longball Bluswick. Of course, we'll get with Lisa. We'll learn about how we can get a little more distance off the tee. What are some tips she can give to us? I also want to hear from her when, when she's playing in a pro-am or out in a corporate outing that she's doing. And she gets paired with, you know, a threesome of men, right, when they're out on the golf course. Do they marvel at how far she can hit the ball and just, you know, kind of soak that in? Or do their egos get in the way and they're trying to muscle up and try to outdrive her or at least keep up with her? I think I know what the answer is, but we'll hear what Lisa has to say when she joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then I'm hoping to get a visit uh, and round out tonight's show with world-renowned golf club designer Jesse Ortiz. I reached out to Jesse to see if he could jump on and join me tonight. He's going to try to make that happen. You remember Jesse for the great work that he did with Orlemar, which was a family-owned business, his family owned business, and the great work he did with their low-profile tri-metal fairway woods. After that, he, he jumped over to Bobby Jones and the Bobby Jones uh, Golf Equipment Company designing fairway woods and hybrids from them, which, oh, by the way, I happen to use. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the designs he did for both of those companies and uh, have him with me about 45 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. But before we get started, I want to remind you about our good friend Matthew Lawrence and his show Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. tea time. It's broadcast on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it live by going online to WLXG.com or do what I did. Download the WLXG app on your smartphone. Matthew does an outstanding job, and it's a great way to start your Sunday mornings. 
His equally fantastic twin brother, Mitchell, also has a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at Golf News Net or over on Audio Boom or really just anywhere you consume your podcast. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they travel all over the world and let you know about great places to play, stay, and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it at GolfNewsNet.com or over on Audio Boom. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from Steve Rondonero about the great things they've got going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. And, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since the 80s or 90s, go get yourself a demo iron of either their Fort Worth, PTX, or new Edge irons, and go out on the range and compare them to what you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time at their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids at BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build them to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line, again, of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. We're also proud to be partnering with Russ Holden and the wonderful folks over at Caddy for a Cure. And one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy, and it's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while you're supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi anemia. You're going to get to walk side-by-side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. And in addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, which includes Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade Caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a 10-cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, and professional photographs of your day. They've got spots open right now that you can bid on to Caddy for Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, Justin Rose, and several others. Go online to Caddy for a Cure. That's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E. CaddyforACure.com to learn more. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is PGA Tour rules official Stephen Cox. Stephen has been a rules official since 1998. He had an accomplished amateur career over in the U.K., including captaining the Great Britain, to, uh, Great Britain team to a bronze medal in the 1996 World Student Championship and winning the Lincolnshire Open as an amateur. And I'm excited that he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Stephen, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, it's my absolute pleasure. Calling you from Philadelphia, of all places, getting ready for next week's BMW Championship. So uh, uh, I'm excited to be back on the show. Well, I appreciate that very much. So talk about that. As I uh, was talking at the at the top of the show, you guys, you the, you and your peers with the with the rules officials are there inside the ropes. You're helping with course layout and setup, things of that nature. Talk about what you're doing up there in Philly right now. 
Yeah, so traditionally at a, at a tour event, we, uh, someone like myself, will be on site one week prior to to the tour event, getting things ready. Now, you know, Orion Inc. Is, is the is the facility that we're at this year for the BMW Championship, and I've probably made since we knew that we were coming here. Uh, I would say probably two or three visits per year um, to to work with the WGA and Aronimic Golf Club to to ensure that everything is in order when I turn up this week. That uh, obviously it takes an enormous amount of time and and planning to build the size of structures that are built in these modern day sporting events. They don't just go up overnight. You can't just build them in a week. Uh, the permitting etc. that takes place to get these huge amounts of structures, road closures, et cetera, takes a huge amount of planning from everybody. And, and, uh, so I'd make, you know, two or three visits a year. And, and, uh, you know, as we move closer, you know, we, we sort of put the fine tuning on everything from structure placement to the agronomics of the golf course, for example, you know, in terms of rough heights, you can't just grow rough overnight. Um, you know, it's not as if we just turn up a week prior and say, okay, we want the rough at four inches or we want it at two inches. You know, these things need to be thought out in advance. So, um, and then this week for me, it's just a case of just fine tuning, really. Um, here in Philadelphia, we're, we're experiencing some unseasonally high temperatures. So we're sort of trying to manage that a little bit. Um, it's up in the hundred degrees mark, which is not exactly ideal for, for, for grass at this time of year. So, John Goslin and his team are doing an outstanding job in just sort of babying the grasses through before we uh, before we start drying them down and get getting the, the grasses to what we would regard to tournament heights and, and tournament speeds for our, our putting surfaces. But thankfully, I work with the WGA, um, and they're a very accomplished organization. They've been doing this for many years, running the Western Golf uh, West Western Open, and so I don't have have too many issues to face and we have a wonderful sponsor in BMW as well who we used to stay in international events so we're, we're very fortunate on that front and Stephen to your point a moment ago about temperatures when mother nature isn't cooperating you know in any number of different directions right whether it's you're getting too much rain you're not getting enough rain or the temperatures are what you're experiencing at, at such a high degree what, what can you guys do I mean where where do you go for that kind of thing to make sure that the you know that the playing conditions are the way that the tournament wants them. They're not too soft and so the greens are really spongy or you're not in danger when you're trying to slow these things down that like we've seen in some events particularly at the US Open sometimes some of these greens can get away from you. How do you prevent that kind of thing and stay on top of course conditions so they play the way you want them to? Well, it's difficult whenever mother nature throws her hat in the ring it's it, it does present us with, a, with with challenges. Um, but fortunately, technology has advanced over the years to allow us to really try and combat as much of this as possible. And and modern day drainage in terms of green green construction has, has allowed us to you know to to allow us to still retain relatively firm and fast greens should we get large amounts of rainfall. You know, I'm sure you've heard the the word sub air system um, thrown around during the, the golf course broadcast. Where, where it allows us to essentially suck the moisture out of the greens and, and uh, retain our optimum uh, green moisture. Um, green probes nowadays are, are, are very prevalent throughout um, the agronomic world, certainly in tournament golf, to ensure that you know large green complexes, five, six, seven, eight thousand square foot greens, we have consistency across all of the green 
And as opposed to just running a, you know, a sprinkler head around the green complex and watering all of the green, we now can really very, you know, particularly if we have a drought, dial in exactly what part of the green is retaining moisture and maybe doesn't need too much water as opposed to the high spots which are drying out. And then we can, we can really hand pick and, and, uh, be very finite about the way we, we irrigate our, our playing surfaces. And, and as a result, the consistency that you see week to week on the tour is, is usually exceptional. And, um, not only are the clubs that we're working with, that those personnel are fantastic. We also have a full time tour agronomist who travels. We're fortunate that who someone like me from a rules perspective, we have someone from the agronomy side who travels with with myself and, and it's, it's a very much a partnership between ourselves and the club and and uh, we're very fortunate to have that wealth of experience week to week to ensure that our playing services are are what our players want them to be so it's it's really moved on over the last you know 10 or 15 years into the product that it is today and I suspect the way certainly technology is advancing we're only going to get um, more knowledgeable and uh, you know different products are going to come onto the onto the marketplace you know back 15 20 years ago if you ran the irrigation you ran it for the entire golf course now you can actually not just green complex but you can just do fairways if you wish and not or just do the rough and if you want firm and fast fairways but you want you want the rough to grow then you, you can really section off certain parts of the golf course which is something that we've you know ordinarily didn't have didn't have available to us so it's 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 not ideal Mother nature, but it's something that we're an outside sport and something that we've, you know, we've got to live with. Stephen, you also mentioned structure placement. Do you ever come back to an event, uh, you know, getting close to when the event is actually going to, you know, start to tee off and that sort of thing and find that uh, a sponsor or somebody put a structure where you guys said, no, there can't, you can't have a structure. You guys need to hurry up and get that thing down. Were you, were you, were you out with me today? <laughs> it wasn't a sponsor it wasn't a sponsor funk um hospitality it was actually a tv tower and um that we'd unfortunately had one sighted in the wrong in the wrong place and and it would have it, it would have caused me a little bit of a headache so when i was driving around this morning first time i'd been on site i stumbled across it and i was like oh and um fortunately the the contractor who we work with we we're very familiar with them. We work with them every week and they are, you know, in production who we've got this week are terrific. And, um, you know, I made a quick call to MDC and obviously they're a very, very strong partner of ours along with CBS and, uh, the Golf Channel. And, and it's not, it's not common that this happens, but, it, you know, I'd, all I'm saying is that's why I'm here. I'm here to foresee situations which we don't want to occur during tournament play. So. You know, obviously, we've got to accept that these structures are on the golf course and there are balls which are going to be in and around them. But, you know, our, our job is to try and limit that as much as we can. And if necessary, we just, we're going to have to make the decision to move one. And, and I did that today, much to the displeasure of the guys who had to take it down and put it somewhere else. So, but it, it does happen, unfortunately. And Stephen, I know you're intimately involved. And what goes on uh, for the Players' Championship and uh, and the course there at TPC Sawgrass and and last year Hurricane Irma did a number on the Jacksonville area, including some pretty extensive damage 
to the golf course. I know you guys were working around the clock to get that golf course, you know, into playing conditions and to meet the, you know, the specifications that we're all used to watching at the Players Championship, including having to have some holes redesigned. So, wanted to get your thoughts. How do you feel about how the course turned out and how the how the championship played this year? I think all in all, we were we were absolutely thrilled with 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 what how it all played out given given the turmoil that we went through uh in you know in September October and the and the cleanup that a lot of the east coast faced and um and we we were work with a, a wonderful bunch down there and and you know it was we we had to just look at it from a different angle and we and we we realized that Actually, in many ways, it created as an opportunity to do things ordinarily we wouldn't have wanted to do because there were such large amounts of tree damage and ordinary big, big established trees that we'd never have touched. And so, it, 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 once we'd got over the initial shock of how many trees we'd lost, and and certainly out back of uh, twelve and thirteen, it, it allowed us to potentially move in a different area and or a different direction. So we sort of put a positive spin on it, um, but um, you know we're still we're still suffering a little bit in terms of the the effect of of, of the last two hurricanes. Really, I mean that, it's a it's a very much a, a tree lined golf course, Chris, and and the number of trees which are probably approaching about a thousand trees now over the last two or three years. That combined with Having enormous enormous problems with um, with beetle damage in in North Florida um, and South Georgia, which is attacking the pine trees, which are very obviously very native to golf courses like sawgrass and TBC sawgrass. So we're having to sort of rethink a little bit um, because you know holes which um, you traditionally see on TV rely on trees um, to which you know which are part of the strategic nature of that particular golf hole, and when you you're in threat of losing those, then the integrity of the golf hole tends to go away. So, you know, we are working through that right now in terms of trying to protect our our forestry for not just the next five or ten years, but, you know, for the next hundred years. And But, of course, trees don't grow very quickly. So, um, you know, it's a difficult it's a difficult ask. But, you know, in answer to your question, all in all, we were thrilled with, with, with the championship. And, and, I mean, look, the, the great thing about that particular golf course is is, is that it, it doesn't favour any one type of player. It's not a long golf course. It's not a short golf course. You have to drive the ball well. If you do so, then you're going to put yourself in a position where you can score. And, of course, we saw that with Webb Simpson. I mean, he drove the ball exceptionally well. He's not one of the longest hitters on the tour. But the way he drove the ball and put his ball in play, then you know he gave himself the opportunity to score. And the greens were fantastic. And yeah, he took advantage of that. Now, if you drive it crooked around there, it's going to be difficult. And, and you know, some guys who try to force the issue, they're the ones who either missed the cut or didn't feature too well. So, but all in all, you know, with what we've been through over the last six to eight months, I, th- I think we were all, all delighted. And, Stephen, with the shift to having the event next year in mid-March, are you nervous at all? Uh, you know, if we had maybe a colder the normal winter that it can impact the course conditions? So I think here's the, here's the deal. So we are in, we were in May, which, and our, our prominent grass was Bermuda. And that was always one of our issues is that we have a very, very short growing window 
to grow Bermuda grass in North Florida because, you know, Bermuda grass, it, it needs temperatures in the 80s, you know, 80s plus to really stimulate and grow. Well, our greens were always very, very just struggling to come out of dormancy because it didn't really get that hot until, you know, maybe March time. So we were always up against it. Now it offers us the opportunity to move to cool season grasses. So in the past where we haven't overseeded, we've played a blanket um, Bermuda greens, Bermuda fairways, Bermuda tees. Now, because of the cool weather date, it allows us to overseed the golf course. So when I say that is that we're now going to go with, with a ryegrass, which is that emerald green that when you turn on your television screens in um, in April, and you turn on an Augusta, that is, that is the emerald green is the overseed. Now, if you were to turn on your TV screens at Augusta in, in August, you'd see Bermuda grass because that would have just dominated and the, and the ryegrass would have died off. So, so the look and the play of the golf course at Sawgrass for the Players Championship in March is going to be totally different. The visuals will be different. Now, Bermuda grass for me is never a particularly attractive grass. You know, you got a lot of, you know, mutation and, and um, and stuff. It's difficult to to make it look pretty and and the rough. Not that we necessarily wanted huge amounts of rough, but it was a very it was a very sparse two and a half inches of Bermuda and um, didn't really didn't really challenge the players too much. Now we're moving into cool weather grasses. We can have as much or little as rough as we want. We're very much in control of our own destiny. I think the other thing is that you know in May. We can have, you know, unseasoned, you know, again, very warm weather. And so, you know, what we've found is that guys, people, a lot of spectators will come out there and it get to the heat of the day and then they'll just retire to the, you know, to either the hospitality areas or for that matter, just return either home or to their hotels and watch the, you know, the conclusions on the, on the, on the television. Whereas in March with the lower temperatures, that will be a far more conducive environment to being able to watch tournament golf. You know, hopefully it's not going to be 85 or 90 degrees as we've somewhat experienced in May. So it's going to be a totally different feel. Um, yes, we run the risk of it possibly being a little bit, you know, windy and get the odd school come through that you just get in March. But fingers crossed, hopefully those are few and far between. And uh, I think that golf course needs a little bit of wind anyway, quite frankly. So um, I- I'm genuinely looking forward to it. I really am. Stephen, switching gears a little bit with respect to rulings that you've had to deal with so far this season, what what are some of the situations that have given you guys some trouble or left you shaking your heads regarding some rulings you had to administer out on the uh, out on the golf course? Well, well, that's a that's a perfect lead into the to the new rules, Chris, because there's nothing worse as we move closer to January the first, two thousand and nineteen, when we are all. You know, we're all working with new rules in, our, in 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 sort of in our with our right hand, but we're still operating in tournament golf the rules uh, as we know them today in our left hand. So uh, we it just it, we've had a, in a number of different situations. And Blaine Barber, bless his soul, he's, he's I mean he's a tremendous young man, and he's going you know he's obviously going to be out here for many years playing on tour. And it, whatever reason, every time the kid has a ruling. You know, it's one of those rules where, you know, he, he gets penalized, but you know full well that in literally in about six months' time, that rule's going away because 
you know, it's relatively innocuous and it's one of those types of rules that we just want to just clean up and is not, you know, not, not fair. So I think any time you get a situation where you're penalizing a player and you know fundamentally it's not correct, um, but it is what it is, then I think that's, that's where we start to, you know, get a little bit frustrated. But thankfully, uh, with the enormous amounts of work that has been put in over the last four or five years through, you know, not just the USGA and the RNA. I think that's worth clarifying. I mean, obviously they are the governing body of our game and, and have done wonderful amounts of, of behind the scenes work with their various committees in making these, these, um, transitions. But with the input of the, the various tours, the European tour and our, our own PGA tour rule staff, the ladies tour have, have been, involved as as of the PGA of America. So those people who are working at the front end, doing it in a practical environment, have helped to ensure that, you know, the rules going forward are, you know, simple to understand, easy to navigate and 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 hopefully when people tune in on, you know, whenever they tune in on it, whether it be online or whether it be on the, 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 the broadcast, that they're not seeing people like me penalize a player for something silly and innocuous. So um, hopefully that sort of answers your question. Yeah, it does. So the the biggest rules issue, I think, that, that we all experienced, right, was the Phil Mickelson thing at the, at the U.S. Open, right, hitting a rolling putt. And I was curious to get your thought. Have you ever seen anything – like that through the course of your career where a guy, whether, whether Phil just was frustrated and, you know, hit it out of, out of that or and sort of just sort of temporarily lost his mind or he did it to bring attention to how fast and out of control the greens had gotten and burned out and all those sorts of things and wanted to make a point to the USGA, whatever it was. Have you ever seen anyone sort of do something like that? No, I, I, I have not, not, um, to that degree. I mean, I've seen, clips of i think kirk triplett did something similar to that somewhere on one of the u.s open courses maybe at olympic i think um but not to to the degree that that phil did it i I think with phil i think you know his love and desire of the u.s open and his and you know he's the only one he hasn't won he's he's come so close i think he i think he went in there with great expectations I think he genuinely liked the golf course. I, I just think that, you know, as as we all do, um, occasionally, uh, I'm not trying to defend what he did, but I think he, I think he just became so frustrated with many things, not necessarily all to do with setup. You know, maybe the standard of his play, et cetera, et cetera. I think he just had a total, total you know, momentary lapse of reason. And he ended up doing what he did, which was, you know, unfortunate, really, to say the least. So let's talk about some of these rules that uh, are about to change. And and one of the things that I'm finally glad to see is going away is the penalty for repairing a spike mark on the green. That one seems like one of those that's long overdue. What do you, your thoughts? Is this something that you guys have been talking about for years? Like, I can't believe this is a penalty and now we finally are going to get to move on from it. Yeah, I, I think we, we, we discussed this one quite, you know, in length because I think there was a, a there was, there was a couple of concerning points, um, 
with regards to, okay, if we're going to allow this, what are we going to allow the player to fix? Um, the, uh, the obvious kickback was if we do allow this, uh, which quite frankly, we were all keen. We were all keen because we were, as, as, as tour officials, we were somewhat boxed into a corner in the fact that the rule currently doesn't allow, you know, it allows you to obviously repair pitch marks and, and old hole plugs on the green, but it, it but it, it doesn't allow you to repair other damage. Well, you know, obviously the greens that we're playing on are so pure that, um, you, you know, with, without too much difficulty, you know, the groups behind can be left severely hampered uh, with somebody who's just careless, for example. Um, not necessarily someone who bangs a club on the on the ground and leaves an indentation mark there, for example, which again is another causes an, an issue from a rules of golf standpoint. Um, but someone who just scuffs their foot, and um, you know, we're caught in a bit of a quandary as to players had a lovely shot in there to about eight feet, the group behind has, and, and all of a sudden he's got to put through this just, you know, huge amounts of a spike mark scuff. And, um, you know, it's very, very frustrating for us when we, you know, we, you know, we've got to make a judgment call as to whether we would consider that to be, um, you know, abnormal or whether we would just have to just say, well, you know, that's just part of the game and it's tough luck. So we were very keen for this to move forward, um, but we we're obviously just concerned, uh, you know, a little bit about how long, if we did allow this to happen, how long it would take. But I think the general consensus is we're we're, we're at a, you know, at a, a really good place, and and uh, to allow a player to to, you know, just to repair, you know, indentations and uh, and other, you know. Marks made by you know the feet etc is a, is a good thing and um, and hopefully um, you know the, the whole the putting surfaces for everybody will you know will be uh, you know will be you know better for those groups behind so uh, but I think you know the spin off from that in terms of putting green um, you know there's so many other things things like you know you couldn't touch your line of putt. Um, and in you know in doing so, you're playing with a partner, and you can't touch a line of you know you're pointing out a line for putting, and you couldn't do that, and you'd be penalised, and all this simple sort of stuff that it was just really irrelevant. And we've really done a really good job of cleaning that stuff up as well. And then um, and then obviously moving a little bit further on to the things like the flag stick, for example, on the putting green. You know that's again it's common sense. You and I are playing together. We both hit our ball. You know. 60, 70 feet away from the flag on a similar location to the green. Well, one of us has got to walk all the way up and, and hold the flag in, in the current format, or you risk, you know, having two shots for hitting the flag. Well, now you and I, the chances of us hitting the flag are, is very slim. We may well not, you know, to save time, we, we're just going to go ahead and put with the flag in. And if it hits it, then, you know, no penalty. Good luck. So I think there's a lot of good common sense changes with regards to the putting green. Stephen, one more before I let you go. And uh, just you've been inside the rules for for so many years. What are some of the more amazing things that you've had a front row seat to watch as a uh, as a rules official? Uh, oh dear, that's a good question, Chris. Um, I, I think I think the thing for me is I, I'm never I'm never cease to be amazed with the with the quality 
the consistent quality of, of these guys who are playing in the in the in the current era. And um, you know, you know, obviously there's there's a lot and an awful lot of focus right now on in terms of how far the golf ball is going. Um, but but this modern generation of, of player is seems to me to be very very dialed in in terms of what they're doing out here. They they're all um, working with their team. That team, you know, you know, back in the day used to probably just consist of you know a caddy, but you know now it's they're very very they're the modern day they they are athletes golfers nowadays. I mean they are very they're very tuned that they're using technology to the best of their um, of their, uh, you know, best of their knowledge, and and they're taking that onto the golf course. So the standard of play that we're seeing week to week is just truly phenomenal. Which for us who are setting up golf courses is, you know, is is challenging because, you know, back in the day of having a 450 yard par four, well, that was a good golf hole. But now, you know, when you throw you're flying at 300 and rolling out another 15 or 20, and these guys are flipping a being a little gap wedge in from from 120. So the way we've gone about um, sort of changing our philosophy in terms of setting up golf courses is, is you know has had to shift to to still continually challenge these players because you know there's not out of a hundred we've got 70 players playing next week and of those 70. Any seventy could win. Any seventy could shoot the lights out at any moment if they get the if they get their boots on. It's it's you know there's no passengers anymore, Chris. It's the, the standard in, and strength in depth across all of the tour. I know we're whittling down now in the tour championship. We've got a hundred playing up here at the Dell Technologies Championship up in Boston. We've got seventy, and then the next thirty go on to the tour championship. But I mean, on a regular week, when you've got 156, the standard is just phenomenal. And uh, I think that's the thing that really stands out for me. Can, and you're dealing with, you know, obviously when you're dealing with clubs, and this week is no different to Aronimic, they're obviously very proud of their golf course. And, uh, I, and I, but I say to them, I said, hey, you're going to have 70 players, 70 of the best players in the world playing next week. If one of them's on, they're on. There's no stopping them. You know, we, we're not going to trick it up. We're going to set it up as, as, as firm and as hard as we possibly can. But if they're on, there's no stopping them. It's it's a it's a absolute pleasure, and it's a, it's I'm privileged to be, you know, a right at the front end, you know, watching and working with these guys, and you know, I'm blessed to do what I do. So, it's uh it's an honor. Well, Stephen, before we let you go, remind our listeners how can they follow you guys, whether it's you or you know the guys that you are working with. How can they stay up to date with all the things you guys are doing, whether it's online or it's over social media? Well, we've um, uh, PGA Tool Rules has got a, a Twitter handle. Um, that's always a good, good little um, source of information for for um, for questions. If um, if you if you and particularly as we move forward with that with the new rules, just you know just jump onto the onto Twitter PGA Tool Rules and uh, and fire us a question. I mean, obviously we've got a lot of changes coming here in 2019, which. Um, which are going to be a little bit tricky to digest for those of us who have been playing the game for a long time. So, um, and for, for that matter, if you see something on the broadcast, um, which you have a question about, whether it be, uh, agronomically or, um, anything to do with the competition of play, um, please reach out to us. We're, a, we're, a, you know, we're a great bunch of guys 
and um, we're more than happy to uh, to try and help educate um, our, our fans across across the world. So um, don't hesitate to, to touch base on that front. Well, Stephen, it's always a lot of fun having you as part of the show. I look forward to catching up with you when you guys are here for the Tour Championship in Atlanta in a couple of weeks, but I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of this show. It's always a thrill, my friend. Chris, it's an absolute pleasure, and thanks for doing what you're doing. You're an awesome job. I appreciate you, Stephen. Take care. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you when you're here. Thank you. Take care, Stephen. That's Stephen Cox of the PGA Tour Rules Officials. And, um, yeah, we got a lot of rules changing, and um, it's fantastic stuff. It's So many of the things have been a long time coming. And I appreciate the fact that, you know, Stephen has looked around and those guys have looked around and say, you know what, hey, we need to go ahead and change some of these things because some of the things that we're doing are no longer really applicable in the game of golf. And, and that one about the spike marks and, and, well, you know, some of the other stuff. And I was really uh, surprised to see that if you double hit a ball coming in January, it's no longer a two-stroke penalty, that there's no penalty. For that, so I, I highly encourage you to go on the USGA site, take a look at all of the rules changes that are coming up because there are a lot and they are significant, but a lot of them, you know, time has sort of come and gone for when that they they were really applicable for to be rules and a lot of the things I'm sure you and me have both sort of looked at it in the rules of golf and said, shake our you know shaking our head, going, you know what, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I'm glad that most of those have now gone by the way. So I can't wait for January. All right, before I get to my next guest, Lisa Bluswick, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors. First, have I told you guys how excited I am about the new weapon that I have in my golf bag? For the last several months, I've been playing the new M4 driver from TaylorMade Golf. And if you haven't tried their new Twist Face technology, you're missing out. I don't know about you, but I don't hit in the center of the face every single time. And after studying hundreds of thousands of swings from pros and amateurs like us, TaylorMade designed their new drivers to help protect us from our mishits and give us straighter distance. So whether your miss hit is on the low heel or the high toe, Twist Face helps bring the ball back to center, keeping the distance that we want and finding more fairways. I'm hitting more fairways than I ever have, and the new drivers are the choice of some pretty good golfers that you might recognize. Twist Face is played by Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, John Rahm, Justin Rose, to name just a few, and they are dominating the top ten out on tour. If you haven't tried Twist Face, go hit it and get fit. It's in the new M3 and M4 drivers and only from TaylorMade. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Superspeed Golf. Now, used by over half the tour players in the world, Superspeed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to gain 5 to 10% more swing speed. With sets of, you know, for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction, Superspeed offers a complete solution to help you start bombing it off the tee. Go online to superspeedgolf.com and pick up your set today. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgatoursuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Lisa Longball Bluswick. Let me remind you a little bit about Lisa's background. She is now an eight-time Canadian long drive champion. She's a 15-time world long drive finalist, and she finished second in 2009 and 2011. 
She set the Canadian long drive record at 350 yards, 2 feet, 2 inches. She's the first woman to ever hit it over 350 yards in competition. She's also a wonderful keynote speaker and a golf entertainer, and I'm very excited that she's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Lisa, thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, Chris, I'm absolutely honored. I've been looking forward to this all season. I appreciate you. So, Lisa, it's been a little while since we got to have you as part of the show, so catch us up. What's been going on with you so far this year? Oh, wow. You know, it's been super exciting since I was last on your show. I, I, I was, I had just signed with Callaway Golf in a new endorsement deal at the time, which was pretty cool. But Chris, what was, was um, absolutely amazing. I received a call this, uh, uh, past winter, um, uh, from Callaway Golf Apparel. So that's actually under the Perry Ellis brand. And they were doing a sh- uh, catalog shoot for their fall 2018 apparel line. And they said, Lisa, we'd love for you to be, uh, to be our, um, to be our cover model for that, for the, for, for women. And so I was just blown away. So I was flown down to Dallas. And uh, we did a photo shoot. We actually, they rented out the Dallas Cowboys golf course. And uh, we were there for 12 hours and we shot to 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I think, uh, holy cow, I think it was like 26, uh, 36 outfits. It was just absolutely unbelievable. And if you look at the the current right now, the fall 2018 catalog, um, you, you'll, you'll see my image on the front. So again, just blown away, Chris, because here I'm a mom, you know, um, and, and it just shows that Cali really believes in, in moms as athletes. And uh, I, I, again, just absolutely honored. And to that end, Lisa, when you know, when uh, we talked last time, you had just sort of switched over to your point from Nike to Callaway, yeah. and you had the Epic driver. So I'm curious, did you put the Rogue driver in play this year? Oh, oh, you bet I did. That became my gamer. And I have to tell you, it also has the jailbreak technology. And what I also saw on the rest of my bag, for the first time, the jailbreak technology in the Rogue line uh, is, is in the Fairy Woods and the Hybrids. And Chris, it is unbelievable. I was playing with my husband uh, a couple weekends ago, and I sometimes, you know, when I want to make sure I keep it in play and don't want to be laying three off the tee, I pulled out my uh, my fairy wood, and I hit it 300 yards off the tee. And yes, I'm a wow. long driver, but man, I, exactly, that's what I said. I, we, my husband literally paced it off because he's like, come on, you know, and so it was it, absolutely, that, that jailbreak technology to me has been just fantastic. And although I love my Epic, the rogue it just says gives me that little bit more uh, ball speed that I was looking for, and and yeah, I put it into play right away. And uh, uh, for any of your listeners out there, again, they'll see huge gains as well in the, in those fairy woods and hybrids. So when you w- when you went from Nike to the Epic, and now Epic to Rogue, how much more distance did you get in each one of those steps? Oh boy, I would say I got, uh, the first step would be, I, I, I saw at least kind of like a 10, 12 yard difference in the first one. And I was, and I'm looking at to moving to the rogue driver, another, and I said another eight yards, uh, moving on. And wow. again, in our sport, that's absolutely huge. You know, I lost the world title, uh, in 2011. I came second in the world to Sandra Carlberg, our reigning world champion by three yards. So, you know, uh, like, again, it's, it's, it's those yards, those two, three, four, five, eight yards, that, that's the difference between a world title and 10th place. And, and Lisa, when you're out playing, like you mentioned a moment ago, with your husband, same driver that you use in competition or is it different when you're in competition? Do you have a different settings, different shaft, that sort of thing? Yeah, excellent question. You know what? I, I did. So I, I've done a few, like a, a Monday qualifier for the LPGA Tour uh, for the Canadian Women's Open. And when, when I first I switched back down to like a play style driver, which would be a 45-inch shaft. I uh, Of course, the USGA allows up to 48 inches. And of course, our uh, World Long Drive Association always conforms. All our equipment uh, is conforming. And if, when we check into any of our competitions, uh, all our equipment is checked prior to competing. Um, so I actually uh, tried to switch down to that 45, but you know, I've swung tens of thousands 
thousands of times with my long drive club. So actually, when I play uh, um, on a regular golf course, I use my 48 48-inch driver. I maybe take take it down a little bit of a step, but I, I feel so much more comfortable and confident with that, and, and I'm hitting fairways. So um, I, I'm excited to put. Yeah, I definitely put that long driver into into play. And Lisa, unfortunately, I read a post on social media regarding you not being able to defend. The Canadian uh, Long Drive Championship and compete in the World Long Drive Championship. You got a little rotator cuff injury going on. That's got to uh, be heartbreaking. Chris, it, uh, when you say heartbreaking, literally tears. And, you know, maybe I should knock on wood because this was my first injury uh, in 17 years of competing. Um, you know, so maybe I should be consider myself really lucky. But uh, I was so proud that, you know, since we last spoke, I won my eight Canadian Long Drive title uh, just outside of Toronto. So super proud of that. And then I flew down directly down to World Championships last year. I was top five in the world in 2016. Actually, for the first time, we had shut the Americans out because typically our Americans are some of our stiffest, stiffest competition on the World Long Drive circuit. So that was just a first time for that, which was crazy. And then last year, I just started to feel the beginning of a rotator cuff problem and it started to surface a little bit at World Championships. I had a top 10 finish, but I was definitely disappointed, um, you know, not placing top five as I had the year before. And um, and then over the, the off season, I kind of rested it a little bit, came back to compete uh, at the World Long Drive Tour. There's a tour event, or sorry, tour stops for the World Long Drive Association. This year, the tour stops were in Mesquite, Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Tennessee, and uh, Atlantic City, and of course, culminating with our world championships in Sacramento, uh, Oklahoma next week. But I went to the Phoenix event, and I really struggled. I felt a lot of pain after I competed. Um, I had to stop hitting between sets. I, you know, I couldn't even I do up my seatbelt, taking my right arm and reaching across my body to do my seatbelt up in the car, or, you know, taking anything off over my head just really was a lot of pain, and I couldn't sleep on that side. So finally, I realized I really needed to take care of it. So I've been going to physiotherapy, doing laser light therapy, uh, active release therapy, every single week, sometimes twice a week. And just recently, and that's been since May, just recently I've started to feel some gains and some improvement. And I'm back to, I'd say, about 80-85%. But when I consulted with my doctor, you know, we just decided that if I if I go compete now, which means smashing buckets as hard as humanly possible, I'll probably regress and it'll take me another six months to come back to where I am right now. And our first event of the year is going to be in uh, probably April in Mesquite. Uh, so, you know, we decided that if I really want to have longevity in this career, uh, I need to to give it a rest this, uh, this, this year. So, unfortunately, I won't be going this weekend to defend my Canadian title, and I won't be competing at my first world championship since 2001. So, absolutely heartbreaking. But I, but I am, Chris, I've now gotten to the point, you know what, I'm excited for 2019. I've already started my, my routine, my workout to kind of get myself prepared to so I can be in the best shape possible for uh, for when that first tour event hits. Lisa, switching gears a little bit, and you're such a wonderful ambassador of the game, and you do a wonderful job helping bring more women into the game, whether it's through being the Canadian lead for Women's Golf Day or all the clinics that you do. I'm curious, are you starting to see, are more women starting to take the game up and keeping it as a game of a lifetime? How are you seeing participation amongst women? Oh, another great question, Chris. You know, I definitely, I am seeing an increase. I have been so proud to be the Canadian lead on the Women's Golf Day Initiative. You know, this, we, 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 we the number of courses and countries that, that started to participate uh, in, in Women's Golf Day this year just exploded exponentially. So it was so exciting. And even just, um, again, at, at golf courses, I'm starting to see more women out there and I do a lot of uh, corporate and charity, charity golf tournaments as a golf entertainer and before it used to be 80 you know 80 85% of attendees were men and that you know the women were back in the office uh, doing the you know the office work while the guys were doing the networking and now I'm starting to see you know 75% of tournaments 
starting to be uh, women or, or even all, you know, foursomes of all women at some of these corporate and charity events. So I'm definitely seeing an increase. And I hope this is just a tr- tr- tradition that uh, continues because, Chris, you know, I think one a factor, at least in, in, in Canada, hopefully North America and abroad, um, would be little Brooke Henderson, Canadian Brooke Henderson. You know, she had the weight of a nation on her this past weekend for the LPGA Tour event at the Canadian Women's Open, the CP Canadian Women's Open uh, in Saskatchewan. And she brings home the title with a four-stroke margin. She is the first Canadian to bring home the national title uh, since uh, 1973. So for her to do that, I think that when all these young girls are watching, she she not only inspired young girls and women, but I think also you just uh, golfers in general. When, when they see a story like that, and they see you know a young girl achieve so much success, I, I think I think it gets more people into the game, and and definitely more women into the game. And Lisa, talking about the events that you do, and and I was curious, and we talked a little bit about this last time, but I'm always curious when you're out there playing in a pro am or in a corporate event and you're teamed with, you know, at least two, maybe three other men in the foursome that you're playing in. Do, uh, what are the men like to, when you're playing? Are they, are they, you, you know, know humbled so- by the fact that you're smashing the ball out there 300 <laughs> yards or do egos get yeah, in the way and now all of a sudden you're trying to what- reach? <laughs> <laughs> I used to get one of two responses. When I get up there, first of all, step up to the same tees that they're hitting from, and, you know, they kind of do the double take. And then if I blast at 30, 40, 50 plus yards by them, then they either are asking me a million questions and want to know about it, or they're kind of, I've had, I've had a few guys that kind of literally walk on the other, other side of the fairway and don't really want to talk that much, you know, but usually it's the guys <laughs> are asking a million questions. <laughs> but it's, it's quite fun, you know, it really is quite fun. It's, it's so funny though, often, again, I'll be, my, my husband and I will go play, and we will get paired with two guys. And I, I call it the look. You know, the Tucson comes up to me, the starter introduces us that we're our playing partners, and they, they kind of roll their eyes like, oh, okay, they got stuck with the chick, you know, right? So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny. That, uh, and then once, once you're on the first tee, usually usually the, the, the story changes a little bit. But, and, that, and again, that, 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 that's always really humorous. So, Lisa, I, I got to get a couple of tips from you before we let you go. And you know, obviously, we're all searching for more distance. When you're when you're doing one of your one of your clinics, what are some of the yeah. mistakes that you see we amateurs do that is costing us yards? Oh, two. I would say two in particular. One one more for so for women would be um, I, I would say that eighty percent of women can't hit it over two hundred yards, and in my opinion, it's because women are, tend to be arms lifters versus turning their body. They don't create coil and torque. They're a little bit more flexible than their male counterparts, so they lift their arms. All they can do is drop their arms, and uh, you know they'll hit it one hundred and fifty yards straight down the pipe, but they'll never be any longer. So if you want to know if that's you, if you're one of the listeners, does your eight iron go as far as your seven iron goes as far as your six iron? If the answer is yes, you're an arm flip. What I see from my guys, I see that my guys will make a good turn, but the problem is once they, they make this good turn, and that's what creates coil and torque, because of course, Chris, what leads to distance, distance with any of your clubs, not just driver, is the ability to create club head speed, club head speed and ball speed, and you need to have coil and torque in your swing, so guys will make a good turn, but where the guys make a mistake or a big power leak, when they get to the top of their backswing, their first move in their downswing is that back shoulder, because they're trying to muscle it and kill it, you know, kill the golf ball, and that, that absolutely kills their distance because their upper body ends up outracing their lower body. Coil and torque is lost. Sometimes there's that big hard pull. And again, usually they're, they're, they're gripping it quite uh, intensely as well. Like that's another a big power leak. Um, if you talk to any of the competitors at the World Long Drive Championships next week, uh, um, they would tell you one of the biggest keys to, to more distance relax your grip pressure. Tension is a club head speed killer. So I, I recommend for all golfers that right before you do your takeaway, take a deep breath out, just a deep breath 
you know, breathe out. By breathing out, that relaxes your tension in your forearms, your hands, and you'll, again, you'll become more supple and, and you will be able to gain more club head speed versus tense, uh, tense muscles. And Lisa, you put a simple golf tip out on your Twitter feed about using foot spray to check oh. your club face impact point. Talk about that. Yeah. That's the best $5 fix, Chris, that you'll get in your golf swing this summer. What you want to do is just go out and buy a can of foot spray. And then uh, the key, the reason you want to buy that is you, it's for impact. Because if you want to hit the ball longer, what's going to help you the fastest also hit it longer is center of face contact. I find if, if, if amateurs would look at where their ball pattern is, uh, where they hit it on the club face, sometimes it's on the toes, sometimes it's heel, high face, low face. The more you're getting center of face contact, now you're maximizing your equipment and you will hit longer golf shots. So again, what you're going to do, you're going to get that can of foot spray. You're going to hold it about a foot, two feet away from uh, uh, the club face. And you can do this with any club face, driver, iron, fairy wood, fibers. Give it a little spray, just a light mist so that it's coated lightly. You're going to take a swing. After you swing, take a peek at your club face and see where did you impact it. And if it's not center face, you know, make a few more swings and adjustments till you get to that point. But it's also a great teacher in that, let's say you're hitting all your shots off the heel. Maybe you're standing too close to the ball. Maybe you're hitting all your shots off the toe. Perhaps you're standing too far away from it. So again, it's a quick little lesson and really helps you quickly uh, find the center of the club face and again, get more yardage. Lisa, let our listeners know where where are you going to be speaking this winter? What do you what have you got coming oh. up where our listeners can go and find you? Oh, Chris, I'm super excited. I'm actually, I just opened, so I've been doing, a, for five years, I've run a golf school in the United States uh, uh, for women. It's a three-day golf school. I've done it in Phoenix and Las Vegas, and so I'm going to continue to do one in Phoenix, uh, March 7th to 10th, 2019, but I've added one in Orlando. I had so many girls on the East Coast of the United States, a lot of New Yorkers, and, you know, uh, even the Midwest, kind of the Chicago area and, and, and Atlanta, a lot of ladies saying, gosh, Lisa, I'd love to come out to your school, so I, I this year, I added an Orlando school, so uh, February um, uh, 21st to 24th, I'm doing a, a golf school in Orlando, Florida. Um, can't wait. And it's my first one, again, on the, on the eastern side of the country. So would love to see anyone. And, and again, if they want any information on that, they can definitely check that out at my website, which is www.lisalongball.com under schools. And Lisa, how about on social media? How can we keep track of all the great things you're doing on social media? Oh, well, you know what? I, I would love to connect with, with audience members, especially if they have any questions or just want to share anything with me uh, on Twitter uh, and Instagram. I'm at Lisa Longball because if I was Lisa Blue, like, uh, no one would uh, be able to spell it or find me. So I'm at Lisa Longball, <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and on Facebook, add me as a friend. You know, I've got a, I've got a page, but feel free to add me as a friend. I'm at, uh, I'm Lisa Longball Bluesley. Um, so again, I, I, I'd love to, to have a back and forth conversation with people. So welcome people on social media and, and sure, and sh I sure enjoy following your social media, Chris. You are so positive out there in the golf world and, and, you know, always have your, your finger on the pulse of what's going on, but always promoting people so positively. So thank you for what you do to give back to this sport, Chris. I appreciate you very much, Lisa. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night. It's always fun having you as part of the show. I hope uh, you'll come back soon, share more of your stories, your insights, and, and let us know all the great things you're doing because you're fantastic, Lisa. I can't wait, Chris. And again, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Take care, Lisa. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. You as well, Chris. 
That is uh, Lisa Longball Bluswick. And, uh, again, check out check her out online at lisalongball.com. And then follow her on Twitter and Instagram. Great stuff. She's always doing something, you know, whether it's a clinic or, like I say, you know, what a wonderful ambassador she is. And being the Canadian lead for Women's Golf Day, promoting the game, uh, you know, attracting more and more women, young girls to the sport, which we obviously need. Uh, she is absolutely amazing and doing great things. And hopefully – she she gets that uh, rotator cuff healed up, and she can get back out there and get in these long drive contests again. But uh, what a wonderful human being. Look forward to having her back soon. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is uh, world-renowned golf club designer Jesse Ortiz. And let me remind you a little bit about Jesse's background. He received his Bachelor of Science degree from the University of San Francisco, got his start in club making back in 1967. As a teenager, he helped his parents and his sister and their family-run golf business, which you've heard of, Olimar Golf. And Olimar started as a persimmon you know, woods company, making woods for legends like Johnny Miller, Tony Lehman, Ken Venture, to name just a few. Jesse took them to the next level with his innovative tri-metal fairway wood design, which was one of the most successful and largest televised uh, ad campaigns in golf history at the time. His tri-metal fairway woods took the company from a $1.5 million company in sales in 1997 to $70 million in 98 to $105 million in 99. And that year, Jesse received the International Network of Golf Business Achievement Award and was recognized as the Entrepreneur of the Year for Northern California by Ernst & Young. Jesse left Olimar in 2003 and moved over to the Bobby Jones Golf Equipment Company, which you guys know for years we were uh, promoting. And his uh, 2006 line of fairway woods and utility clubs were uh, Golf Digest Hot List back in 2006. And he collected a lot of acclaim in that magazine for that season. And I can tell you, from uh, you know the Bobby Jones fairway woods and hybrids are awesome because I still play Jesse's three wood and hybrid designs. And I'm telling you, they're the best and easiest you know hitting fairway woods that I have ever played. And and I can't thank Jesse enough for taking time out of his night to come back and be a part of the show. Hey, Jesse, how are you? I'm doing fine, Chris. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. So, Jesse, I wanted to go back, and for our listeners who weren't with us last time, and it's been a little while since we had the opportunity to have you on the show, but uh, go back to the beginnings, you know, your beginnings in the golf industry and your family's business and how the Olimar brand uh, came to be. Um. Wow. What's a- so it's a long time ago, <laughs> like like you said, Chris. I I, I retired at the end of uh, this past year because I figured 50 years in the business was was long enough. But yeah, I, I grew up in the business. My dad was a tool and die maker from the old country, from the Basque country uh, in Spain, and um, got interested. A friend of his got got him interested in in golf clubs. I I, I always said that my dad was probably the only man in the history of the game of golf to make the clubs and not play the game. I mean, he didn't take up the game until about five or six years after he started Orlemar in 1960. So, um, yeah, I started in the family business. Um, I, I guess you could say I was drafted in, in, in typical old European style family tradition, uh, if you're able-bodied, you are drafted into working for the um, for the family company. So that's that's how I got into the golf business. At first, uh, uh, putting on grips and uh, then then grinding some clubs. And by the time I was about 15, 16, my dad trusted me enough to 
be able to work on the bulge and roll and on the grinding for the top amateurs and the and the tour professionals that would come by San Francisco every year to play in uh in the, in the tournament. There used to be a PGA stop called the Lucky International put on by uh, the uh, Lucky Brewing Brewing Company in, in San Francisco. So the pros uh, the tour would always stop in San Francisco, and that's how I got to know people like Tom Weisskopf and Johnny Miller was a local junior. He used to pick me up uh, at my golf lessons and bring me bring me back to the shop on Saturdays. Um, Tony Lima, I remember him coming to the to the shop. I worked closely with Ken Venturi, and Ken stayed really very. He was a huge supporter of mine and of the families. Um, up until, you know, he, he passed away. He was with me even, uh, um, during the Orlemar days and he was there with me, um, at, at Bobby Jones. So that's, that's how I started in the business, making persimmon woods for the top players in the game in the sixties and seventies. And, and then, uh, in the nineties, everything went to metal. Eighties, in the eighties and nineties, everything went to metal. And I finally told my dad, look, we can't beat these guys. We got to join them. We got to make a metal wood, but let's make one that's got the the weighting characteristics of a wood, and that's how the first multi-material metal wood in golf came to be in 1998. It's been 20 years now, uh, Chris, and you know I look at what the other manufacturers are doing today, and every one of them is doing. It has their fairway woods and their hybrids are all built on the tri-metal platform that I created and designed 20 years ago. So that's kind of that's kind of a run through of what what got me into into the golf business, how I did tri-metal, and uh, then went on to do do Bobby Jones. So Jesse, where, where did the inspiration? Where did that you know the low profile, the Olimar low profile three and four wood? I mean, I had those back in the day, and I thought they were genius in that it, it seems like for for most of us, you know, hitting a three-wood off the fairway is a tough shot, right? We're either chunking it or we're looking up or, you know, we're topping it or that sort of thing. But when with the with the low profiles, it seems like, at least for me, it would, maybe it was just a mental thing, but I had I had more confidence that I could get that, you know, through the fairway and get the ball up in the air because of the low profile piece when did, where did that inspiration come from well we always my dad and i were very well known for our for our fairway woods even though we had a lot of the tour guys using our drivers uh our fairway woods actually among top amateurs and, and tour pros were really a lot more popular and my dad had put in a very thick brass sole plate on the bottom of the persimmon woods and we always shaped our woods a little bit on the sh- shallower side because that way when you address the ball, the the weight is lower. It also makes the ball look like it's slightly teed up uh, when you have a shallower face. Um, so that's that's we were making wood wood in that similar style. What happened, Chris, is that and it's common and it's, it's common in the golf industry is someone comes out with something that's hot. And everyone copies them. All the manufacturers then flock to that. Uh, they're like lemmings. They're all flocking to the edge of the cliff. And what happened is woods got bigger. With Callaway coming out with Big Bertha, all of a sudden everyone started coming out with bigger-headed drivers. Well, gee, if, if, if a big-headed driver makes sense, 
a bigger-headed fairway wood must make sense. Well, so all the manufacturers went to bigger-headed fairway woods. They even came out with with uh, titanium fairway woods. You may remember that uh, the, back in the late 90s, titanium fairway woods were getting popular. And it was really just a ruse for the major manufacturers to get more money out of each unit that they could sell. Because the only ti- the only thing that titanium helps you achieve is a larger head, which makes sense on a driver because the ball's on a tee. But once the ball's in play, as you, as you know, Chris, the ball's on the ground, you need something where that sits low behind the ball so it's easier to get airborne. And so the whole move with TriMetal was not only the shallowness of the club, which was going against what everyone else was doing. Everyone else was, was going big. I think Barney Adams and I were the only guys that were making shallower fairway woods. But we took it one step further by making the TriMetal a club made out of different materials. Until then, everything was either a titanium head or it was a, um, a stainless steel head. But I knew that there were steel alloys out there much stronger than stainless steel. And if I could find get that metal and put it on the face of the club, I could make the face much thinner and then put a lot more weight down in the sole. All the manufacturers were talking about perimeter weighting, and I knew from my wood-wood days that sole weighting is what you needed to have a fairway wood perform. And so we went from a four millimeter face thickness in stainless steel, we went to 1.8 millimeters. It was a drastic change and probably is the last, that's probably the last major technological advancement in golf equipment in the past 20, 30 years. I mean, everything since TriMetal has been just kind of tweaking of hosels and uh, uh, face angles and things like that. But the, the the last real material change in golf club design was the TriMetal 20 years ago. So it kind of shows you, you know, that we've really somewhat stagnated. Uh, innovation has, has been stifled in the last 20 years. And Jesse, when when you moved over to the Bobby Jones Company, you innovated the club head design even more, making it a little more round you know, on the heel and, and the toe, making it a little easier to hit the ball out of the rough. Talk about what led to that change. Well, we've always had uh, a sole that was more curved or rounded than the other manufacturers, Chris. And, and the reason is the more rounded or contoured sole lets you hit the ball out of all kinds of lies, and particularly with the hybrid clubs. You know, hybrids came into being and originally, Chris, they were like, they were designed to be like fat one irons or two irons, okay? Because the guys on the tour, the tour pros, were having trouble hitting one irons and two irons. So the first hybrids that actually came from Japan, the whole hybrid uh, craze started in Japan, uh, came here as fat sausage-like one and two irons. Then the manufacturers saw that hybrids were were a hot item, and so they started making these long nosed kind of sausage shaped um, clubs that they called hybrids with very flat leading uh, edges, straight soles, very much like an iron. I knew 
because of the tri- from my experience with tri metal because we were making tri metals up until uh what up up to 40 degrees loft. We were making making tri metals to replace 7 and 8 irons. So I was ahead of all this all the hybrid stuff because I was already making these high, these high lofted high lofted clubs. But with the hybrids what I decided to do was make a club with a very rounded leading edge, very contoured sole, and make the body wide to make them almost like cliques from 150 years ago, very much like miniature, wide-bodied fairway woods. And I remember when I first came out with the hybrids, the Golf Digest people said, you know, Jesse, we put you in, uh, we, we, we put you in the hot list. You're one of the, you're a gold medal winner, but we didn't pick you as, as the, as the number one hybrid because it didn't look like all the other hybrids that we tested. Even though you won two of the five categories, best performance and best appearance, we couldn't give you the, the gold medal because your hybrid doesn't look like all the other hybrids. So it, we really didn't know how to categorize it. And I remember telling Statura and, and Michael Johnson, I said, guys, in three to five years, every manufacturer is going to have their hybrid look a lot like this and nothing like what they're putting out now. And sure enough, three years later, everyone had copied the, pretty much the Bobby Jones hybrid design. So I knew, Chris, that the average golfer needed a club that he could hit out of all kinds of trouble because he uses the hybrid as his miracle club. On the tour, the pros used the hybrid really as a replacement for a one or a two iron, or sometimes like a three. But the average golfer needed a club that could, he could hit out of anywhere off the fairway because he would rely on that style of club to get them out of trouble, regardless of whether it was a 19-degree loft or a 21 or even a 35, which I made up to 35 degrees. So uh, I always knew, I always designed clubs, Chris, to appeal in looks to the tour pro, but have all the features and benefits to help the guy who's trying to break a hundred. That's what I've done my whole career. And Jesse, and and I'm and I mean this is sincerely, not just because you're on the show, because I've had every ma- major manufacturer you know on the show, somebody from from those organizations, but. I thought you did the best job with the Olimar piece, with the low profile. Like I said, I played the three and the four wood that you designed there. I think the Bobby Jones fairway woods, the three wood is the best three wood I've ever hit. Your hybrids are the best hybrids I've ever hit. So I'm curious. I mean, yeah, back in you know the mid 2000s, they, you know, Golf Magazine was giving you gold stars and all that sort of stuff, but. I, I'm at a sort of at a loss. I, I miss you being out there and, and 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 the Bobby Jones equipment coming out with something new and great every year. And I know I understand you you've been in the business for 50 years and it you know kind of time to call it a career. But the things that you did were so innovative and they were so good and I think they're going to last you know pre, you know the last for years to come. I don't think anyone's going to catch you. So I, I, I'm just uh, I'm curious. Are people knocking on your door, calling your phone, trying to get you to do do more? What's the status of where you're what you're doing now? Well, you know, I've always been kind of a loner. I'm up here in Northern California. Obviously, if I was down in in uh, the Carlsbad, Southern California area, I I probably would 
have, you know, that I probably would have gotten offers. I got a little bit of interest at first, but I, I, I wasn't, I never wanted to go back down to Southern California. I did that at the end of Olimar. I spent three years there and I lost the, the last three years of my daughter's high school years. Uh, I commuted. Um, and I've always worked for myself and it was just time. It was just time, Chris. I, I was trying to, uh, you know, I, I had some issues with the golf channel on advertising policies because they had gotten some flack about me buying too many remnant ads and I was getting too much exposure for not enough money. And some of the manu- major manufacturers were a little, a little upset about that and made, made it known. And then one of my partners, uh, uh, Stevie Abram, uh, passed away, had a massive heart attack at the age of 56 and died. This was in December. And so looking at the whole industry, looking at my partner, losing my partner at the age of 56, and he was otherwise healthy, you know, the issues with uh, advertising and all that. And I just thought, you know what, I'm, I, I, it's time. It's time to do a little traveling and I've worked now uh on my apartment buildings. I have real estate holdings in San Francisco that keep me very busy. And so I just thought, you know what? It's time to it's time to step aside. I still have ideas. I still have things that that I would have liked to have done, but I'm finding that there's there's plenty of life outside of golf, Chris, and I'm and I'm having a great time. And really Honestly, I don't miss a lot. I, I miss, you know, the interviews. I miss sometimes, you know, going to the shows and, uh, running into people that I've known for 50 years and all that. But I don't miss the hype. I don't miss the baloney. I don't miss the, the who's going to be ripping off my designs. Do I have to go to court and fight someone? I mean, it, it's such a litigious industry also. And, and I just, you know, when that fire ends inside and, and you just you just say, you know what, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to go do something else. Um, it, it, it was just time. It was ju- it, it was just time. And uh, uh, sometimes I miss it, but most of the time I don't, Chris, honestly. I, <laughs> I love playing. And, you know, in, in the week after next, I, I go for the 39th year, uh, 39th year in a row. With my three best friends, we go up to the Sierra Nevadas up there, you know, in the Reno, Lake Tahoe area, and we play, um, we play a bunch of fabulous courses. We play seven rounds in seven days. I get to see my, my buddy, uh, my buddy's Tommy Duncan up at Wolf Run and at Lake Ridge. He owns those two courses. And then, uh, my good buddy, Louis Gurin, uh, who, um, runs uh, Genoa Lakes, the two courses out there. It's great courses in the Sierra Nevada. So I get out there, I go with my three best friends, and we just shut the world out and try not to three-putt too many of those mountain courses and in, enjoy hitting seven irons 160 yards because you're at 7,000 feet. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, that's what I, but I really, I appreciate your comments. And and uh because i did take a lot of pride over the years to do innovative designs chris and not look at what everyone else was doing but just follow what i thought was best for 
for the average golfer and for and for good players. And uh, I feel that I have made some significant contributions to the industry. And uh, uh, it, it's a little sad, but then you know, again, I'm I'm happy doing what I'm doing now. I, I really am. Well, it was all fantastic stuff, Jesse, and, and I mean that sincerely. So, I, I we we ever get the itch, like even just for yourself, you know, go into your shop or something. I imagine you got a shop somewhere that you can tinker around and and you know, maybe make something here or there, do a little something, and get out with your buddies, and they look at and go, "Hey, what's that?" And never mind what that is. Don't <laughs> well, worry, you don't you know, need to know what that is. No, I I did a sole design late last year on a wedge that I thought was absolutely fabulous. But and uh, I was working on it. it. It was a very unusual shape of a sole that, uh, on a wedge that really was like picking the ball up out of heavy rough or out of a sand trap and tossing it. I mean, no matter if you all you had to do is square the leading edge to the to the target and the ball would pop out. I mean, because there's there's just nothing like it the way the sole design that I did, and then. We were testing it out, and about a month later, that's when my partner just, I, you know, I talked to him on a Friday, and on Tuesday, I get a call from his brother, and he says, Jesse, he's, Stevie, Stevie passed away. And, and it just, it shocked me. It hit me, and I started looking around at my life and saying, you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of things that I want to do. I, I really should, um, well, I got the properties in the city that need need some need some loving care. Even though we have managers that that manage the places, um, it, it needed it needed my attention more. And I thought, you know what? Maybe maybe I should just at least take a hiatus now. And so that's really the thought at the end of last year was, hey, I'm going to take a year off just to see what happens. But I'm having having such a good time doing things, Chris, that are that are not golf related that sometimes I find myself, gee, how, how, I'm so busy now doing stuff. How did I ever find time to work on clubs? I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but, um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying my time here on the sidelines. Let's put it that way. Well, Jesse, I, I hope it, uh, at some point, if you decide to do something with that wedge, because as a, as a guy who struggles getting out of the sand, I would sure love to see what that that is like. So if that uh, itch ever comes back, I hope you'll let me know because I'd, uh, I'd love to take a look at it, promote what you're doing. I, uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. I think everything you've done to this point in your career, over the course of your career, has been the best in the industry, and I'm sure that uh, that wedge would be no different. Well, thanks, thanks, Chris. I I really appreciate you uh, having me on the uh, having me on the show and uh, the kind your your kind words. I, I appreciate it. really do. Thank you. Well, Jesse, take care. All the best to you and your family. I hope we get the opportunity to uh, to spend some time with you again soon because uh, I know you've got tons of stories about the things that, that you've done over the course of your career, and I'd love to hear every one of them. So hopefully you'll come back well, and join me again sometime soon. Anytime, Chris. Just just let me know and uh, just give me a couple topics, and I'll, I'll be happy to give you some stories, really. Stay in touch. I appreciate it very much, Jesse. Take care. All, right. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, Jesse. That's a great Jesse Ortiz. And, folks, and I promise you, 
I, it, it is with nothing more than sincere, you know, gratitude for the things that he has done over the course of his career. I, you know, I had the Olimar, like I said, I had the three and the four. I thought they were awesome. I think just as he talked about, when the, with that low profile face, it did give you the appearance that the ball was teed up a little bit. And I think that gives you a mental confidence to swing at it and not do the, some of the things that we do when we're, when we're hitting three woods off the deck now, right? You tend to overswing a little bit, you chunk it, you top it, you do all those sorts of things. Well, that were outstanding. And then he went over to the Bobby Jones company and I, I've got it in my bag. I've got the three, the three wood, and I've got the three and the four hybrid. And, you know, they're sort of my go-to clubs. Um, I, I just, I think they're easy to hit. I think the ball flies straight and they fly straight and long. And if you happen to be in a little bit of light rough, cuts right through it. So, uh, and, uh, the idea of that <laughs> wedge, if he's got something that can make it nice and toss it right out of, uh, out of the sand, I think we could all use that. So I think we all should be rooting for that he gets the itch at some point before too long to make those things uh, a reality for all of us. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Stephen Cox, Lisa Bluswick, and Jesse Ortiz for joining me tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Go online. Check us out on Facebook, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. Give me your feedback there. Plus, like I say, if you've got a question for one of our previous guests, one of our future guests, please let me know. I'll be glad to get those questions uh, you know, out onto, uh, out, out to them and get the answer for you and pass that back to you. You can see you some of our future future guests are going to be by going online to our website, nextonthetea.net. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, getting revved up, right? The NFL season right around the corner. My co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live by going to Blog Talk Radio, or that show like this one is also available as a free podcast over on iHeartRadio, Podbean, and Audioboom. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who share their stories from their playing days, plus give us their insights into what's going on around the league today. Plus, we also do our Spotlight on the Positive segment. We always hear the negative news, right? All the bad things that players might be doing, the arrests that happen, that sort of thing. Well, you know what? We, 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 we kind of flip that around, and we do our Spotlight on the Positive segment, and we highlight two players that are doing great things every week out there in their community. So check out that segment as well. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this one, next on the T.net to stream or download any of our archive episodes for free. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are making this show part of your podcast consumption. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.